Philippians chapter 2. Um, I want to pick up with the last verse we were looking at. Normally what we would do when we stop with verse 16, as we did last week, we would pick up with verse 17. But we did not look at all of verse number 16. So I want to pick up with there, read three verses of Scripture. Philippians 2, verses 16, 17, and 18. And I'm interested in the question, how will you meet Christ? How will you meet Christ? We are going to meet him. We are. Everybody here tonight is going to meet him. And Paul is interested with how he's going to meet him. And um, that ought to be a very serious uh, question for all of us. You will remember the apostle wrote to examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. And then it is written in the New Testament that, uh, that you should make your calling and election sure. And so we do that. We take biblical evidence to vouch or um, substantiate further evidence of salvation. Salvation is more than just a feeling. And, and I'm glad you can feel. I'm glad I feel. I'm glad he can stir. Um, I'm glad that salvation comes with feelings. Just as sure as physical life comes with feelings, um, spiritual life comes with feelings. Um, I do not believe God does his greatest work in the shallowest part of our being, and that being our feelings, right? I'll tell you a little something that we preachers pick up on. It doesn't take long being in the ministry. If you go to a church and they want to smile or they won't frown or somewhere in between do all that kind of thing if there's no emotional response there's probably no spiritual response either sometimes that's because there's no spiritual life god doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest part of our being but the shallowest part of our being is affected by the deepest part of our being and i'm glad we can feel what the lord's doing aren't you i've often said as others have uh, while I'm right here on our feelings, don't ever make fun of somebody if you see them weeping in a service. That may be tears of sorrow, but it may be tears of gladness. Uh, don't criticize someone if they say amen or hallelujah or shout for the first time or the 500th time. You, you don't want to do that. You don't know where someone's walking, what God may be doing in their lives. Paul is interested here in how he is going to meet Christ I'll not ask you to stand tonight and look at these three verses. I'll not keep you long. I want you to be mindful in these days coming of our Bible conference. And please lift these services to the Lord. Philippians 2, verses 16 through 18, Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also also do ye joy and rejoice with me. A couple of messages back looking at Philippians 2. I really felt like we'd use these verses, verses 14 through 18, introductory to get into what Paul writes about Timothy. Timothy's one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. Then Paul writes about Epaphroditus in this chapter. And he's one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. He hazarded his life for the cause of Christ. I'm convinced probably Timothy did too. We know that Timothy gave his life for the cause of Christ. 
he stood and protested uh, some of the worship of Diana in the streets of Ephesus. And they beat him. They beat him so bad that it was two days later, I believe, that he died from his injuries. He stood and he protested. He stood and he preached against what they were doing. Um, And so these are two unsung heroes, but we'll save them until after the Bible conference. Uh, These verses, um, the Apostle Paul, again, he has on his mind that of meeting the Lord. Uh, We all know that we can meet him. There's the potential of that happening any day now, right? Uh, There's the promise of that happening someday. Someday will be my day. Will be my day. Life will move on when it's my day. Life will move on. Life's not to stop. If the Lord calls me home in death, life is not to stop. Mom, dad, young person. I've helped in funerals anywhere from my granddaddy was 99. My great-granddaddy helped his, in his funeral. I had the message in his funeral. Um, I've helped in funerals uh, of infants. And if you go out to the cemeteries, you'll find the the hole that is dug in the ground to place the body is all dug the same size. We are going to leave this walk of life, every one of us. Every one of us. You don't have to be sick to die. You don't have to be old to die. You don't have to have cancer to die. You don't have to have heart disease to die. You don't have to have an aneurysm to die. Um, this will probably come back out on me. I was going to use it as an illustration Sunday. What's it been now? Three weeks ago, we got home, and it seemed like the world was rocked over the tragedy of Kobe Bryant, the athlete, the superstar athlete that lost his life in the helicopter crash. And I said to Aaron and Anna, they they were asking me about it. I said to them that Sunday afternoon, they were over at the house. I said, "What's, what's caused the world to stop today in a lot of regards is everybody thought he was larger than life, but he wasn't. And I would not minimize, nor would I belittle his death. Um, but it was a reminder to the world that human beings die. No matter who they are, that's why it's so important you be prepared yes. to meet Christ, that you be prepared. And I hope whoever has part in his funeral preaches Christ preaches Christ because that's what the family needs and that's what the friends need and that's what everybody else needs to hear. So in verse number 16 here, Paul writes of the day of Christ. That's a reference to the, uh, to the rapture when, when, when the Lord will return for his people and also a reference to meeting him at the judgment seat. So he writes of the day of Christ in verse 16. Verse 17, he says, and if I be offered... Um, if you've read 2 Timothy 4 in verse number 6, he said, For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. If you've ever heard anybody preach on that verse, you know that that's a reference to the drink offering. It, that was a, a drink offering. That was an offering that was poured out and spent one time. You pour it out and it's gone. Paul wrote of, over there in his swan song, 2 Timothy, he said, I am now ready to be poured out, spent. Used up. 
when he writes here of his, this being offered, he says, if I be offered, he knows where he is in this prison. You remember we've said on several occasions, this is one of four prison epistles. He knows what is waiting on him. He knows they will take his head. He knows he doesn't get out of here alive. You remember he's been in a quandary in chapter number one about whether to die or to live. And he realizes the Spirit of God settled it in his heart. Between verses 24, 25, and 26, it's best he stay for the benefit of others. Would you be willing to stay behind so that others would be helped? Many of which, many of whom you wouldn't even ever meet them. You'd never know their names. Paul was willing to do so. He was willing to do so. But he says, if I be offered, if I be offered, he's talking about his execution. He's talking about his death, if I be offered. Someone has said we have an appointment either with the undertaker or the upper taker, and we do, don't we? We've already said it. One day, one day I will exit this walk of life. Someday I will exit this walk of life. Possibly any day now, I'll leave time and go into eternity. Maybe today. You ought to seriously consider that. Do you have peace with dying? Do you have peace with dying? Matthew Henry wanted to die. He wanted to die. He didn't want to be called out in the rapture. He wanted to die. Read his writings. He wanted to die. He so had a walk with Christ and so walked in the Spirit that his, his reasons for writing that in his, in his, uh, in his writings was this. He said, I want to experience all that Christ has for his followers. He said, I want to die. I don't want to be raptured. I want to die. And then God resurrect the body, raise it again. One day these bodies out here in these cemeteries, uh, these, these mortal bodies are going to be raised and given immortal bodies. They'll be changed into an immortal body. This flesh will be quickened. The old body is going to come back together. I don't know how God's going to do that. Do you? These, these bodies that have gone up in these, those believers that would have been in the building in Oklahoma City when the bomber uh, bombed the federal building back many years ago, those believers that were in the Twin Towers those that were aboard the, the, the airplane that went down on 9-11-2001, mangled bodies. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to pull those bodies back together and change them in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. He knows where every little speck of everything is. Those bodies that have been incinerated. Um, God's going to bring them back together. What a day that's going to be. You say, can God do that? What can God not do? God can do anything he wants to do. And he'll do everything he said he's going to do. He's done everything he said he would do up until this point. He's going to finish the job, friend. You may not finish the task, but he'll finish the job. How will you meet the Lord? We've all heard the little tale about the Sunday school class where the Sunday school teacher asked, uh, some kids about the size and age that Brianna teaches. Uh, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? And all of them, it was a classroom full. All of them but one little boy raised his hand. And she said, son, pointed him out. 
and said, son, how come you didn't raise your hand? You don't want to go to heaven when you die? He said, oh, yeah, when I die, I thought you was going to go right now. Let's be honest, most of us are so tied down in this world. I remember wrestling with when, when the doctor told me I was stage three, possibly stage four cancer. I, I remember what I wrestled with was not dying. What I wrestled with was my wife and kids. I laid down that night. I couldn't sleep. I wrestled with my wife and kids. Donald, I was more worried about Amanda and those four kids. How are they going to, how's she going to feed them? How are they going to pay the bills? What are they going to do? I was restless. You say what you will about that, but I was restless. I woke about two or got up about two. I tossed and turned, stared at the ceiling. And I walked to the kitchen of the parsonage. I walked to the kitchen and got a glass of water, and I stood there at the sink, the kitchen sink, looking out the window toward the fellowship hall. And I'm telling you, the good Holy Ghost of God came by, and he said, look, I can take better care of her than you can. God takes care of his people. David said, I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Old Dr. Seitler said he had never seen a tithing Baptist living for God in the handout line. Now, we all get a tithe. We all know what that's like. But I'm telling you, God's made some promises about giving. If you'll do it like he said, do it. If you'll do it. <laughs> He's liable to give you a pounding when you think you're about to run out. I, the Lord willing, tomorrow night, I'm, I'm trying to get through 2 Corinthians this semester, and I'm having a hard time of it. I dealt with Christian giving. Christian giving, we have our uh, Faith Promise Missions Conference, right? It's birthed out of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's scripturally anchored, right, in the Bible. Is, is everything we do around here is. Um, but this lady, uh, Miss Mabel Barron, uh, their church, she, she was in a church in Chicago, Illinois. When she was 76 years old, 76 years old, she, she approached a young preacher full of zeal and full of God. And he had been preaching about, uh, about giving to missions and how that God would work in his people if we would be willing all we have to do is just be a channel of blessing. And she approached him, and she said, Pastor, she said, I remember when our church did that and said, God blessed us, and we all have tales that are still living in those days where we gave above the tithe and the normal offering and gave to missions, and God gave us all raises and better jobs, and, and our homes were in better shape. But said, over the course of a handful of pastors now in many years, We've got away from missions giving. And he wanted to implement faith promise missions in the church, um, in that church in Chicago. And, and she said, Pastor, said, could I share with you one of the first times I saw God move? She was a widow, a young lady. She was a widow. She was a nurse and so had to take all the work she could get down at the hospital. And that meant working a lot of Sundays. Um, the kids were old enough to stay by themselves. Um, uh, they, the neighbors would take them to church when she had to work on Sunday. And she'd come in one Sunday night, and the boys, uh, the boys were excited. She asked them to tell them about church, tell her about church. 
And they said, Mom, said the pastor said, we're going to have missions Sunday, next Sunday. We're going to have a missionary and take a mission offering, and we want to give a good offering. Can we give a good offering, Mom? And she said, boy, she said, you know, we need a new roof. Before winter, I've saved $200. That's why I've been working overtime. And we'll give an offering, but I don't know how good it'll be. But we'll give an offering. And said the boys accepted that and went to bed and she said in the night she couldn't go to sleep. She said all she could think about was that $200 in her savings to put a new roof on the house before winter in Chicago. And said God spoke to her heart and said give the $200 in the missions offering. And she said she had lived long enough and watched God work enough. She knew better than to argue with God. Said the next morning she got up getting the boys around. And said She said boys I'm... Uh, we given the $200 in the missions offered. Well, they were stepping high. Come Sunday, she was off that Sunday. She let the boys give it in the offering, 100 each. They put it in the offering for missions. They had a missionary, guest missionary that day. On Monday, she got off from work. The boys were home doing the homework. One little boy, he was trying to answer one question, didn't know the name of it. And he said, Mother, he said, do you know who Pike's Peak was named after? She said, no, but we'll get the world book and see. And they did, and she said, uh, it's Zebulon Pike. Zebulon Pike. And he said, okay, and wrote it down. They went ahead, she put supper on the table, fed the boys. Then the phone rang. This was back when we had old dial phones, you know. Some of y'all don't know nothing about the good life. That's back in the good old days. Somebody say amen right there. My phone number was 489-3806. One of my best buddies, his was 489-6800. I still remember a lot of my high school buddies and their numbers. But the phone rang. She picked it up, and on the other end, there was a man said, uh, he said, hello. He said, this is the quiz wizard from WMAQ. And am I speaking to Miss Mabel Baird? She said, why, yes, you are. And he said, well, Miss Mabel, you know we give away every week. And the question this week is, do you happen to know who Pike's Peak was named after? She said, why, I sure do. Said it was named after a man by the name of Zebulon Pike. He said, congratulations, you just won $200. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I could. Some of you have given. and God blessed you and gave it back to you. I've heard some of your testimonies. You gave and God gave it back. There's about three of our men has testified that we made a pledge and God gave us our pledge. And went on beyond that. You cannot outgive him. You ought to go home and look up Luke 6, 38. You ought to go home and look up concerning the tithe and the offering. Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. You ought to read what the Bible says about purposing in your heart. That's where faith promise is born. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, about verse 6 or 7. And see what he says about Sowing, if you sow sparingly, that's how you're going to reap. Uh, but if you sow just in abundant fashion, God's going to give it back to you. You say, that's over in the next world. That ain't what he said. He said, in this walk of life. He said, in this walk of life. We used to have, when I was at Hurricane, we used to have Brother J.C. House come in one time a year. He'd preach during the Sunday school hour to the entire church. He'd preach in the morning worship, and he'd preach in Sunday night worship. And I didn't want him to preach on anything but stewardship. I didn't want him to preach on anything but stewardship. He's the best. He is the best. 
And I'm telling you, they were some, uh, the folk there gave, but there were some that gave and gave and gave and gave. I didn't mean to get off on giving. Here's the thing about leaving this walk of life and meeting the Lord Jesus, and we're going to meet him. We're going to meet him. Um, Either we'll meet him uh, as a group together in the rapture, or we'll go one by one. We'll go one by one, meet him individually. But we're going to meet him, right? Sure, we're going to meet him. If I meet him at the end of this life, I go in death. If I meet him at the end of this age, I go in the rapture. But either way, I'm going. Either way, I'm going. I thought about this. I, I, I wish I could remember his outline. Dr. Billy Kanoa in the early 90s heard a cassette tape where he preached on if I had but one more day. And he talked about what he'd do if he lived one more day. He preached it up here at Victory. I wish I had his outline. I give all those cassette tapes to a preacher years ago. Told him to listen to them. But I thought about it myself, just kind of off the cuff. I, I wrote down four or five things. If I had but one more day, this is just off the cuff tonight. If the doctor told me, preacher, you got one more day. 24 hours, that's it. Give you 24 hours. You say, preacher, what would you do? I'd rest in my Savior, Jesus Christ. I can add nothing to my salvation. When I was baptized, that didn't make me more saved. We're saved by placing our faith in the finished work of Christ. By coming to Christ. I'd rest in my Savior, Jesus Christ. If I had but one more day myself... I'd rejoice in the blessings of God upon my life. God's been good to me. A lot of the calls I get is about trials because of what we've been through over the years. Most of the phone calls I get from preachers are are about trials. But I'm going to tell you, there's far more good in my life than bad. There's been more sunny days than there has been rainy days in my life. God's been good to me. Me and that woman right over there many times. Many times when you're asleep, we're sitting up in two recliners talking about what God's done for us. If I had but one more day, I'd reminisce with my loved ones, my church family, and my close friends. I'd tell you. I'm not going to tell you not I love you, but if I knew I didn't have one more day, I'd probably tell you. (laughs) If I had but one more day, I'd review my own life. You hear me quote sometimes or say something about Danny Sparks. I followed Brother Danny when I was at Thrasher. There was one preacher between he and I, and that was Brother Charles Smith. Brother Charles from, uh, from the Starkville area, down below Starkville, very gifted preacher. Um, Brother Danny, when he got cancer the second time, the doctor told him that it would be terminal. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was a war horse for God. But you know what he did? Um, he went home, and he got in that little old study in that parsonage, that thrasher. He covered himself up with a quilt and told his wife he didn't want anybody to bother him until he come out. He got under that quilt, and he examined his own life and asked God to reveal if there's anything in him, if he needed to make an apology, if he needed to do anything, if he'd left something undone at the church to reveal it to him. That's big. That's really Big. As a matter of fact, do you know when I followed him? Uh, do you know he, he knew he was going to die? He starved to death, really. The, this, the, the cancer he had caused him to starve to death. He couldn't keep anything down. He got to the place all he could have was insure. And he couldn't keep it down. He'd come back up. 
Well, Carol Park said he went by to see him one day, and he said, Preacher, how you doing? He said, Carol, starving to death. He said, he said, I'm starving to death. You know what he did? He prepared that church for the next pastor. That's big. That's real big. He prepared his family for his exodus. That's big. Joanne Cutbirth said this about him. I won't ever forget, standing on this side of the church up there. She said, you referred to our former pastor. I said, I want to tell you something. I said, he taught us how to live with dignity, but he taught us how to die like a Christian. One Sunday, he got up to preach. They said he nearly died back here by the Sunday school counter. There's two-story back in the back, and there were people that was going and trying to get upstairs and get to the rooms downstairs and and said their brother Danny was trying to get in. He All he could think about was getting to that pulpit and preaching. Heartbeat for God. That's big. That's big. Matter of fact, if you get down to dying time, we'll find out what makes you tick. And you'll find out what makes me tick. If I had but one more day, I'd try to ready myself for the journey. I'd probably sit down and read scripture that I've got marked my old Bibles about heaven. I ain't even got to the message. I'm still in the introduction. How will you meet Christ? Let me give you two ways. Now I'll skim some of this. First of all, there's a dreadful way to meet the Lord, you know. I'm talking about even as a child of God now. There's a dreadful way. Look at verse 16. He says, holding forth the word of life. You remember how we talked about that that holding forth comes from a word that spoke of how the pagans would offer a wine offering before their God? To hold forth the word of life. He's not offering wine unto a pagan God, but he's taking the word of God and living it out as an offering before the Lord. He says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. What a man rejoice, will rejoice in reveals his character. What a woman will rejoice in reveals her character. What a young person rejoices in will reveal their character. He says that I, uh, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Paul knew he had to stand before the Lord. I want to give you two verses. If you want to find them, find them. It's two verses about the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 and then 1, Thessal- or excuse me, 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and 13. 2 Corinthians 5.10, listen to what the Bible says. He knew he was going to have to stand before Christ. He knew he was going to have to meet the Lord. He knew he was going to have to stand there and give an account of his life and his ministry. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. What did I say wrong there? He didn't say we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. You can be at the football game and not be playing football. You can be at a boxing match and not be in the ring in the middle of the fight. But here he says, for we must A-L-L all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a judgment of review. Your salvation's not going to come up that day. The fact that you'll be there, that's the believer's judgment, right? That's the believer's judgment. What are we going to be there for? Well, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, 
Paul knew he had to give an account. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.13. 1 Corinthians 3.13. 1 Corinthians 3 and 13, he writes, Every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, my work, my motive, all that's going to be declared. It's going to be brought to light. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. I I wish, I'm honest when I say this, it's part of me, I I wish for, for Christ's sake, for his name's sake, that we were knocking walls out again, you know, for Christ's sake, because we couldn't get people in. I mean that. But you know the Lord is interested in what sort of church we are before he's interested in what size church we are. That's what he said, what sort, S-O-R-T. He's interested in quality. He's interested in quantity too. He's interested in the world, right? But he's interested in quality, quality. Now, notice back over in our text. Notice in verse number 16. Notice what he says in these two, first two phrases. He says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Now, we can either live a life of faithfulness or unfaithfulness. Here he's talking about rejoicing in faithfulness. Now, that'll bring rejoicing when we meet Christ. Um, he says that I may rejoice. He knew that if he held forth the word of life, He could rejoice in the presence of Christ one day. As a matter of fact, I think there's two things that we can rejoice in when we get over on the other side. Number one, if we know him a thousand times, a thousand times, we'll rejoice that we know him. Yea, a hundred times, a hundred thousand times, we'll rejoice that we know Christ. Yea, millions of millions of times we shall rejoice in that eternal day that we know him. Might I say, billions of times, times billions of times. I'm going to tell you a second thing I think we can rejoice in, if we serve him. If we serve him. I think a thousand times a thousand we'll rejoice that we served him. I think... A million times, a hundred million times, we'll rejoice that we served him. It's not a greater cause in all the universe than the cause of Christ, than the cause of Christ. I couldn't help but think of the old hymn. Now look the words up. Let me give them to you and I'll move on. But Paul mentions a life marked by faithfulness and how to bring rejoicing in verse number 16. But I thought about that old hymn we sing around here. From time to time, face to face with Christ my Savior. Here's the words to that song. I'll save the chorus till after all four of the verses. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. The second verse to that hymn says, Only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. The third verse, what rejoicing in his presence when are banished grief and pain, when the crooked ways are straightened and the dark things shall be plain. The last verse says, face to face, O blissful moment, face to face to see and know, face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ who loves me so. The chorus to those verses, face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. 
face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. Now, you know, if you live an honorable life, that's going to honor Christ, and it'll bring rejoicing in that glad eternal day. But then there's a life not only marked by faithfulness that brings rejoicing, but there's a life marked by unfaithfulness. Notice what he writes here in verse number 16. Let's notice the verse again. He says, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. There's your positive side to the verse. Watch what he says, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see those two phrases? Uh, he, He did not want to run in vain. He didn't want to labor in vain. He gives us word pictures here. Evidently, Paul liked, or at least was very familiar with the Isthmian games, the Greek games, and the Roman games, because he alludes to them in his writings. You remember several messages back, when we closed chapter 1, we referred to those verses in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, 26, and 27, where Paul said he, he didn't shout a box. He didn't just beat the air, right? He said he kept his body in training. Um, here, when he talks about running, that I've not run in vain. He's talking about his performance, the life he lives. He says, neither labored in vain. The word picture here from the word that this comes from gives you the idea of preparedness. Paul knew he couldn't face Goliath in the valley of Bach in front of everybody unless he'd been whipping on the lion and the bear, nobody looking. What he is in the public He shows us that because of what he's been in the private. Paul lived a life of faithfulness. He knew that could bring rejoicing and would, but a life of unfaithfulness. He said, I don't want to run in vain. I don't want to labor in vain. I don't want to preach just to preach. I want to show up just to show up. Oh. When I, when I get along this subject, I, I cannot help. I've shared this with you before. It's been a long time. But I cannot help but think of my friend, Miss um, Carolyn Young. She died at the age of 56. She had a massive heart attack. She knew she was dying. She knew it. She asked her kids to step out of the intensive care waiting room in Tupelo. Wanted them to clear out a few minutes. She said, I want to talk to my preacher. I had stepped outside. I mean, right outside. I was there in intensive care, but I would stepped outside, let her husband, we called him Peel, her two daughters and her son step in and the family. She asked them to go back to the weight room. She won't talk to me. And she said this. She said, Brother Kevin, you'll be preaching my funeral in a few days. And she said, I have a favor to ask of you. And I said, if I can... And she said, I want you to tell my children I've wasted a lot of years. I took my girls to dance class. They have played ball. I went to every football game and baseball game my son played. But I did not put a priority on living for Christ. She said, I've wasted my life. And she said, you tell my son, you tell my daughter. You tell their spouses and you tell my grandchildren that their mother was dying with regret. I did that. I gave her my word I would do it. I did it at Center Funeral Home in Fulton. It was not an easy task. 
Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I want to read to you the prayer of um, Douglas MacArthur for his son. This ought to be the prayer, really. We all have for all of our sons and daughters, yea, even for ourselves. I want to read this prayer of General Douglas MacArthur for his son. Listen carefully. Build me a son, O Lord, who will be strong enough to know when he's weak and brave enough to face himself when he is afraid. One who, would be, one who would be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory. Build me a son whose wishbone will not be where his backbone should be. A son who will know thee and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge. Lead him, I pray, not in the path of ease and comfort, but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here, let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here, let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men. One who will learn to laugh, yet never forget how to weep. One who will reach into the future, yet never forget the past. After all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that he may always be serious, yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility, so that he may always remember the simplicity of greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, and the meekness of true strength. See, Paul's prayer is somewhat akin to that. He uses this word vain. I, I've got to stop somewhere. I've got to. But he uses this word vain. He did not want to run in vain, neither labor in vain. This word vain is used by a weaver to speak of a piece of work that he put together in a piece of cloth that wasn't fit to sail. Wasn't fit to sail. Do you, I do often, do you ever take inventory of your day at the end of it? See if there's anything productive accomplished. I do. I do that most days of my life. When we finish, these guys don't know it that come to our classes. We finish on Thursday nights. I often look back and wonder, was there anything produced for Christ? See, the word vain means empty or no account or worthless. He didn't want to run and spend his life running around the same circle all the time. See what I'm saying? He didn't want to labor in vain. He didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that. Let me give you this last one. I, I promise you I'll be really brief with it. Look at verses 17 and 18. There's a dreaded way to meet the Lord, and there's a delightful way to meet him. Verse 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered. Remember, that means to be poured out. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause... Also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Now, two things here, at least in my mind. First of all, there's Paul's exodus. It's anticipated. Then his faith is multiplied. Now, his exodus is anticipated when he says, yea, and if I be offered. Again, he's talking about his death. It's soon to come martyrdom. And he goes on. He says in verse number 17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I joy and rejoice uh, with you all. 
Paul's life was an offering to the Lord. Paul's death was an offering to the Lord. Paul spent himself in life, not just for the Lord, but for his saints. And his death, he's willing to be offered for their faith. I rejoice in a man like Paul, a preacher like Paul, a missionary, a stalwart like Paul. I wonder what they must have thought. I couldn't help but think of this at my desk today. You remember there were those, you remember there were those that went out to see John the Baptist. They thought they could push him around. You remember that? And Jesus asked them, he said, hey, you bunch of big shots, what went for you out to see? A reed shaking with the wind? Do you think he was a candy-legged preacher? Who do you think he was? A reed shaking with the wind? Do you really think he was going to see a sissy preacher when he went out there to the wilderness? Why, he's got locust and honey in his beard. His old tattered garments has been bleached in the sun. Who do you think he was going to see? A reed shaking in the wind? Brother Chris, I cannot help but think that there were some maybe even went down to that cold dungeon. Maybe somebody said, what went for you out to see? A candy-legged preacher? Do you think you'd be begging and making promises if you'd let him out? God was just as real to him behind that imprisonment. That wall of imprisonment as he was. Matter of fact, I'd contend to you, Paul was probably the freest man on earth. And if you get loose in your situations, you might pull a Peggy box and shout all over the place. I'm glad this is real. Paul's exodus is anticipated. His faith is multiplied. Verses 17 and 18 says in verse 17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith... He says, I joy. He said, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. No regrets. I joy and rejoice with all of you. He says, he says, for you all. Now, he mentions his sacrifice. He's become a living sacrifice. He mentions their service that has to do, for, that has to do with their ministry. Um, their ministry. And all this is part of the fruit of his labor. All part of the fruit of his labor. Here's what Paul's rejoicing in, in brief. Here's what he's rejoicing in. He's rejoicing that he knows the Lord. He knows he's about to go meet him, right? He's going to stand before him. He he knows that. But he knows his labor's not been in vain. There's a church at Philippi that's there because of him. Because of the Lord, but because of him. And there's some people that's growing in grace. It's because he's been faithful to the Lord. He's left a mark behind. He's left a footprint. I want to ask you a question. Have you left a footprint? If you die tonight, could you on your way out write down a name, at least one name, and say, Preacher, here he is. I I, I brought him to the Lord. I've made a difference in one man's life. Or could you ladies write down one lady's name and hand it to me on the way out and say, Preacher, here she is. I've left a track in her life. I've made a mark. Have you affected many people? Have you affected two people's lives? 
Have you helped somebody to grow? I, I remember one man I used to pastor. He said that the, the, the man that was the pastor, when he got saved, he said, I was so hungry to learn the word of God. He said, he come to my house and taught me in my living room the book of Philemon. And he said, preacher, it's the smallest book of the New Testament. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the biggest one because it's the first thing I got to know. And he testified how that it had been so many decades ago, and yet he's still running out of that truth. That man left a mark in his life, you see. What a blessing. Have you done that for somebody? Lyman Beecher, and I close with this. I'm leaving a few things out, but Lyman Beecher was a scholar. He was a preacher used in his day. Some of his writings are still left behind, some of his sermons. And his sermons were printed uh, weekly in newspapers across this country. And he was on his deathbed. He knew he was on his deathbed. He was on his deathbed. And, and a young man approached him with his, with his pen. And he said, Dr. Beecher, could, could I ask you a question or two? He said, you sure can. He knew he was dying. Keep that in mind. This is what he said to him. He said, you are a brilliant intellect and a brilliant scholar. He said, tell me, what do you believe is the greatest thing that a human being can be or do with his life from his deathbed? He said, the greatest thing is not that a man should be a scientist, as important as that is. He said, that not that a man should be, should be a statesman, as important as that is. He said, not that a man should be a great theologian, immeasurably important as that is. He said, the greatest of all things for one human being is to bring another human being to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand. How will you meet Christ? You see, Paul wasn't just going to meet him. There's going to be a whole host of other people who's going to meet him because of Paul. Miss Angie, would you come to the piano, please, ma'am? If there's a need in your life, we want you to come.